You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Merry Christmas. It's good to be with you today and to celebrate our Savior's birth. When we think about the Christian story, we need to realize that it all begins with a song. Or maybe better stated, it begins with songs. The Gospel of Luke in chapters 1 and 2 show us that there are a series of songs that prepare us for the birth of Christ. I think we would all agree that at this time of year, the Christmas carols, the hymns of our faith, the songs, even the silly ones like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which fortunately we did not sing last night. I think we got every other silly song. It worked in there one way or the other because the kids got to choose. It was fun, though. It was a lot of fun. Uh, All those songs are beautiful, and we love, we love to sing at Christmas. And I I want you to know this. When, When God is at work in your heart, one of the ways you'll know that God is at work is you will have a song. You will be singing. And so today, we're going to look at the last of those songs that set us up for the birth of Christ the wonderful picture of Emmanuel, God with us. And what we see in all of these songs is how God has given us the Son of the Most High. Today, if you have your copy of Scripture, I invite you to stand with me as we stand on the solid rock that is the Word of God. We're in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. A little longer text today, but I want to read it to you. It's such a beautiful story, a beautiful story about Simeon and Anna, two people who were allowed to experience the joy of Christmas in a way that few get to experience it. But notice this, and when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, or shall we say, and sang, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, 
and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that this last song will give us peace for our journey. Many of us will be traveling today, some near, some far. And God, we pray for safety, but I pray that in the journey of life that we are all living, that you will give us, God, the peace that passes all understanding, and that this Christmas season you will refocus our hearts on you, O Lord, our God, that we may not miss what is happening, what you are doing all around us. Open our eyes. Open every eye in this room and those who are watching at home. Help us to see the Christmas story and the Christian hope with 2020 vision today, with spiritual 2020 vision. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Like Mary and Joseph, how can we not marvel at this Jesus? Verse 33 tells us that they marveled at all that was happening, but I would imagine that every time they would look in the face of this child, they had to marvel at who he was and what he would become. This son of a humble carpenter from Nazareth would reveal the thoughts from many hearts. Verse 35, and we also know that here is a man who changes everything. The belief or the lack of belief in him causes either one to rise or to fall, we are told in verse 34. In this passage of scripture, we have as our main characters, Mary and Joseph, obviously Jesus, but Simeon and Anna. They are the main characters, but I want you for just a moment to imagine. It's not too hard to do this time of year. If you've been at the mall, this is not a hard image to conjure, but just imagine being in a crowded space. Can you do that for me? In your mind, just imagine being in a place where you're just elbow to elbow with people. During uh, any given day, especially during the festivals of Israel, there in Jerusalem, the temple would have been all hustle and bustle. It would have been people all over the place. Though it was a large space, it was not all that large when you consider how many people every day would be there to worship. I want you to get that image of, of, of a crowded space, people going hither and yon, hustling and bustling, as it were. And I want you to realize that many of those people there, that they were, were very devout. I mean, you go into the temple, obviously, to worship, to give a sacrifice, to, to go and do uh, your religious duty. So people were there uh, for the right reasons. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. But let's also assume that many people that day were just there going about their business. They were hustling and they were bustling. And my guess is that almost everybody in that amazingly large crowd in the temple paid no attention to Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph would not have been wearing expensive clothes. They would not have been wearing anything that would draw attention to them. We know from the archaeological record that Nazareth was a poor town. The scriptures here are very clear that Mary and Joseph were poor people. In fact, they give the poorest offering that you can give for the birth of a baby boy. 
And they didn't, they didn't give the expensive offering, they gave the poorest offering. So nobody would have noticed them. Maybe somebody, as, as they got close, would have seen a beautiful child. You know, there's always those people who always want to peek at a beautiful child and just see the chubby cheeks and to go, ah, there were some of those people. But the scripture seems to indicate that of all the people in that crowded space, there were really only two people who were in tune with God, in step with the Holy Spirit, which is mentioned twice in the text, only two who really understood or appreciated the profundity of the moment that would mark history, that would change lives, that literally brings the world to a standstill on the 25th of December. You can't hardly buy a cheeseburger today. And I know this because my family and I, we're going to starve before we get to grandma's today. It's going to be tough, but anyway. It is amazing to think how much even the secular world, the, the people who are not going to show up like you did today, those who are nowhere near their generations, believe it or not, here in America, there are people who are generations removed from a Christian faith, and yet the world comes to a stop. And we need to ask the question, why were people hustling and bustling? How was it that only two people were able to acknowledge that, that this amazing, profound occurrence had taken place well my guess is is that the reason why so few noticed is because people are people they were just like us we're so wrapped up in our world our jobs politics our families all those things have their place and are important but sometimes those things take precedent over the most important, the profound things in our lives. And so, so many people would have been able to experience Jesus on that day, but only two are recorded to have had a true encounter, a worshipful experience. In those days, people were worried about money and politics and their families, just like today. Herod uh, Antipas was the ruler at that time. Uh, Jesus calls him that fox. He was a very cunning uh, political operative. And so if you think politics is a big deal today, well, it was in that day too. There were a million reasons why people didn't see Jesus. And I have a feeling there are a million reasons why you so often on an average day don't experience Jesus. The beautiful presence of our Savior, the Holy Family here uh, entering in and missed by almost all. I think we're busy, yes, but I think our busyness causes us to keep our heads down. And when you keep your head down, you miss what God is doing all around you. I think, dear person, dear, dear Christian, if you're a, a believer here today, I want you to know that much of what God is doing is not in your purview. And it's not because God never works around you. It's that you're working so hard and doing so many things that you're not lifting up your head. You keep your head down. You're focused on the now, the moment. That's all great. But what if you're missing what God is doing? I think one of the greatest needs of the church today is to just open its eyes and see where God is at work. And as Henry Blackaby encourages us in his great work, he tells us that we need to look and find where God is at work and then join him in the work. It's not enough to just see God. We need to see God and determine to be in his presence and to be guided by his power. 
we are most blessed when we are looking for God, no matter what is going on in the world around us. In fact, I would say what is going on in the world around us at any given time is a distraction, keeping us from the Christ child. We need people who have eyes of faith, people who won't give up when times are tough, who won't lose heart when the world hits us hard, people who refuse to stop believing and believing in the dream that God has for your life. I am convinced that God has a great dream for your life. You as an individual, there is something, there is some place, there is a, a role, a purpose for your life. And I'm here to tell you that purpose isn't to die with a lot of money in the bank. That means nothing because you cannot take it with you. But what we are looking for, church, we are looking for the ability to live this life and to go about our journey. Remember the title of our, ser our sermon for today. We're talking about the journey. We're talking about peace. We want you to have peace for your journey, for you to have a life that matters, that counts. And I believe that Christ makes that possible. It certainly is true for Simeon and Anna. So let's talk about these two uh, dear saints and souls, for just a few moments. Let's talk first about the consolation prize. I want you to think about that for a moment. You'll see here in the text in verse 25, it speaks of Jesus as the consolation of Israel. I want us to hone in on that thought of consolation. Christmas is uh, a great time of year, isn't it? It's a time when our families come together. Um, last night, we played a little board game. Um, board games are boring to me most of the time. Um, I, I hear I need to go to the Langston home because they know how to do games better than anybody in the history of the universe, it seems. Um, I, I've heard stories. So nonetheless, but you know, this time of year, every once in a while, we have enough time to play a game of Monopoly, which usually takes about 18 hours of your life. <laughs> now, if you are raising up some aspiring capitalists, it doesn't get much better than Monopoly. It's a great game. But I just love the cleverness of the game. In fact, one of my favorite parts of the game is a little yellow card in the community chest that says this, you have won second prize in a beauty contest. And your award is $10. Now, I wanted to show you this, but is it Hasbro who has the copyright on this? Those turkeys wouldn't get back with me and give me permission to show their card. Shame on them. Can you believe that? Not taking care of a Baptist pastor, what's the world coming to? But anyway, that little yellow card, if you can get that image of the guy in your mind, it is the funniest thing because this, this dude is as smug as can be for winning second prize. Now, we call second place the consolation prize, right? So the little smug guy in Monopoly received the consolation prize, and that just doesn't seem like $10, I guess, in 1936. By the way, that's when the copyright was. I looked it up. In 1936, that $10 must have been a lot of money because that guy looks really happy to win uh, $10. But nonetheless, I want you to think about that idea of consolation, and it's far better than second place. Notice again the text. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. Those are two powerful words uh, pertaining to his character there. Waiting for, notice this, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel and 
<laughs> like, it just gets better. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. May it be said, if your eulogy at your funeral is that good, you've lived well. Verse 25 would be a wonderful elegy, a wonderful eulogy for you. And Simeon was obviously a great guy. Now let's look at what's going on around that one verse. We see this episode here, and we see here how Jesus' family was serious about their faith. The law of Moses was taken seriously at Joseph and Mary's house. Verses 22 through 24 show us that they are keeping the ritual and the tradition of a family who has had a son born into their home. Not only was there a dedication for the boy, but there was also a purification for the mother. This is all according to the law. As I've already hinted to you, the sacrifice that they are bringing of two pigeons there in verse 24 shows us that they were not wealthy, but they were faithful. They were bringing the offering that they were meant to bring. But I want you to see that this man, Simeon, who is there and acknowledges them, he is righteous, which shows that he was righteous toward men. He dealt with people the right way. His horizontal relationships were healthy. He was devout. That points to the vertical. He was a worshiper of God. So he was working hard to do things God's way. We're talking about Simeon here. But the thing that really ties it all together is that phrase, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. This is true for the Old Testament. This is true for the New Testament. If you want to be a person on fire for God, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You will not be able to worship Jesus as you ought if the Holy Spirit doesn't fill you from within. We need, and I know it may sound crazy coming from a Baptist, but we need Holy Spirit-filled people in the church and in the world. We need people who are inspired by heavenly things, filled with the holiness of God's Word, and compelled to serve the Lord in the power of God. The world needs not the power of a church. As we learned a moment ago, yes, we can raise money for missions. That's wonderful. But we understand that just being able to meet goals for missionaries is not enough. We need you filled with the Holy Spirit. We need givers and goers. We need people who are inspired to be generous and inspired to give their lives, their time, their energy. It takes a lot of energy to travel around the world. But if God calls you to do it, I'm going to give you a little advice. You better go do it. Stop making excuses. Let God guide you. This was a man, Simeon, who had spent time with God, and thus he heard the voice of God. Listen to verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death, before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Spirit-filled people, I believe, were rare in that day. I believe they are rare in this day, but it doesn't have to be that way. We can be filled with the Spirit, too, if we will spend time with God. I believe we need people who will spend time with God in prayer. We need people who spend time with God in the Word. We need people who will spend time with God in worship. And when we do those things, we are more apt to be in the place where we experience, acknowledge, are blown away by the presence of Christ. We need this. 
Let me bring you back to that crowded temple. It was large and crowded, but only two people acknowledged Jesus. In a room like this with many people in it, there are many of us sitting here thinking about Christmas dinner. Mine will be at a gas station, but whatever yours will be, probably be better than that. Um, we're thinking about presents, we're thinking about the busy schedules that we have, but I'm going to ask you how many of us will actually acknowledge Jesus today? How many of us will uh, be wrapped up in the love of Jesus today? How many of us will experience the peace and consolation that comes in Jesus? Verses 27 and 28, and he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed him and bless God and said, and then we have the great song, the Nunc Dimittis, this beautiful song of, of consolation. Here is a man in lockstep with God. Here is a man who is experiencing God and is guided by the Spirit. Let me say this, Simeon is right where he needs to be because God is his guide. He received the consolation prize accordingly. Now, I want to just take a moment with you. And, to, and just look at a couple of words in that verse. First, I want you to see the word waiting. Did you see the word waiting? We are told that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, waiting. How many of you in this room are good at waiting? My guess is, is that you're so bad at it that you've already opened all your presents. Like you could have done it after church, but you just couldn't wait. I know that that's the way it is for the kids anyway. At our house, there was a big discussion as to when we should open presents. And um, it just was kind of crazy to me. We were having that discussion Thursday. It's like, no. Oh, I don't know how we, we, we managed not to open them, but we didn't. It's just hard to wait. But that word wait in the Greek, it represents a little bit more than just waiting in the traditional sense. It means to be receptive the word waiting also has with it a connotation of a welcoming attitude. So waiting is not just being patient, it's opening your heart. It's, it's being receptive. It's, it's like when someone knocks on your door unexpected, you actually are happy that they're there. Most of us are not happy. You know, you're, you're being interrupted. You're trying to watch the eighth episode of your favorite new TV show in a row. Eight hours worth, but you're still going. You can't last 30 minutes in a sermon, but you watch eight hours of Emily in Paris. You guys are sick. <laughs> now, come on, really, waiting. Waiting here is not just patience. Again, it's a heart condition. It's your heart being right. You are receptive to what? The consolation. The same word for consolation is the word for the, the, the spirit, a word used for the spirit, paraklesis in the Greek. And what it means is the consolation, the comfort, the peace. So these people, Simeon in particular, he was receptive. He was waiting. He was receptive to the peace of God, the consolation of God. Comfort and peace. And this is why Simeon's song is so beautiful. It's a song written about a moment in the Latin, the, the, the song begins with nunc, or now. It's about now. It's about being in the moment. And it's also in the moment realizing that you have received the greatest gift of all. If you have Jesus, you can depart this world in peace. 
That's what Simeon is singing about. Now, here we are at the birth of a child, but he's talking about, I am ready to go see Jesus. He starts talking about his own demise, but he knows that he can die in peace because the promise has come. Listen, when God makes promises, he keeps them. God has promised you that if you will believe in Christ, you will receive the consolation prize, which is salvation. And if you will receive him with an open heart today, you will receive the, pay, the peace that passes all understanding and the power that leads unto salvation. Heaven is the home of those who receive this gift. Does your heart long for such a gift? Are you ready for such consolation? The glory of the Lord is what God wants to give us. With the advent of consolation comes the crisis of belief. All of us at some point are going to have to make a choice. Will we receive this message? Will we allow God to have control? Notice that Simeon, though he sings a beautiful song to Mary, Joseph, and to Jesus, he says this, that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. We begin to see in that language that Jesus brings the crisis of faith. He is a dividing point we know between B.C. and A.D., but he's also a dividing point between those who believe and those who do not believe. Heaven and hell kind of language. Jesus is. He is not someone that you can just say, well, he was a good teacher. He's a good guy. No, he didn't allow that option, as C.S. Lewis so keenly observes. He doesn't give us the option to just say, yeah, he's another good philosopher or thinker or teacher. You have to believe in him as Savior because that's what he declared himself to be. He becomes a divider in that way. But we are united when we believe. Let's talk about the thoughts of many hearts to be revealed for just a moment. This other side of Simeon's story. I wouldn't call it the darker side, but it's the more contemplative side. It's the side of the story that we need to just pause for just a moment and think about together. Simeon sang this song. Joseph and Mary, we are told, verse 33, marveled at what was said about Jesus. Uh, so much is going on here. The Holy Spirit is leading in every way. But what we need to realize here again is that here is a man who is filled with the Spirit. And he is a person who can see what God is doing. And one of the things he sees, he sees how the, the, the world is missing this moment. And I believe this is what breaks his heart. I think the fact that, that at this point, he's the only one acknowledging the biggest story in the history of the world that had to make him realize how hard Jesus' life would be, how hard it was going to be for this child to change the world. Because let's be honest, most of us in the world really don't want to be changed. We're very happy and content with where we are. And I think Simeon's song shows this. Verses 34 and 35. Behold, this child is appointed to the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. I think he's speaking to Mary there. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the darker side, I guess, of the song. As one scholar puts it, it reminds us that the Christmas story is not all sweetness and light. There is the sad reality that this child was born to die. The gospel is good news. It is good news for those who believe. But it is sad news that it took something like this, the death of Christ, to save us from our sins. 
Jesus would bring people to a crisis of faith. The prophets had warned about this, that the Messiah of God would be a stone that would divide. We see that in Isaiah 8, 14 and 15. Isaiah 28, 13 through 16. The New Testament apostles saw that Jesus had done just this. Romans 9, 33. 1 Peter 2, 6 through 8. Let me just pause parenthetically and say this to you. If you are living out your faith, if you are living as Jesus would have you live, you are not always going to be the most popular person at the party. There are going to be times where when people know you stand for Christ, they will stand against you. That's what this song is telling us. The song is telling us that there is a brokenheartedness even in the serving of Christ. Christ had to have his heart broken. Why would we think that our hearts will never be broken? To serve Jesus is to put yourself in the line of fire in the spiritual war that is raging all around us. If we want to do something great for God, we had better get our shield up. We better put on the bulletproof vest because the enemy is coming for us. But there is consolation. There is the reminder that God will be our strength. The psalmist sings about it often. He is our rock, our fortress, our salvation. And if we build our lives on the rock, we will not stumble. Oh, your heart loves to resist. Sadly, resisting God is what comes natural to us. But let me just say this. Make sure that your life has purpose. Make sure that your life, your thoughts, the thoughts of your heart are in tune with God. That every action... Everything you say and do is honoring unto Christ. Now, it's not often I do this, but I just want to encourage you. I don't want to take time to talk about it today. But on December 7th, I preached a sermon from Psalm 13. And in that sermon, I talk at great length about what I call practical atheism. I want you to go and listen to that sermon. If you uh, really get bored Uh, In the next couple of days, you could listen to that sermon because here's what I am afraid of. I'm afraid that many of us are like all the crowd in the temple. We would never say that we don't believe in God. I mean, we come to church. we, We do religious things. We do spiritual things. But many of our decisions, most of our words, how we treat one another is no different than an atheist would operate in this world. And so if our actions, our words, our attitudes are not filled with Christ, there is a practical sort of atheism there. And if you want to know why so many people have very little to do with the church, it's because many people who claim to be filled with Christ, nobody could ever accuse them of acting like it. And some of you have probably been burned. We could have a conversation over some crackers or something at the gas station this afternoon for lunch. And you can probably give me a hundred stories about how the church has failed you. For every one, I can tell you about how the church has shown the power of the Spirit. You will win that argument with me. I can't beat you in that argument because too many of us who claim to be Christians have not really shown Christ. Like ever. That may be too heavy for Christmas. I want you to hear my heart. If you have Jesus, you have the greatest gift of all. It's a gift not just for you. It's a gift to be shared. It's a gift that other people, even when they don't know they need it, need it. 
I pray that we will be the type of people who are not just going through the motions of our faith, not just people who go through the motions, not practical atheists, but that we are filled with Jesus. But let me say this, to you who are believers, if Jesus is someone you celebrate mostly on Christmas and Easter, what does that say about your heart? We need to ask questions like this because if we say that Jesus is someone different, and obviously we're all taking time to be in a worship service to celebrate the birth of Jesus, so I think we would all say there's something going on here. If we say he is unique, then how has he uniquely changed your thinking, your way of life? How has Jesus impacted you, redirected you, caused you to be a different person, a better person, a spirit-filled person? These are questions that must be asked or else Jesus becomes just another baby in the temple that day on his way to get a sacrifice offered up. Friends, we need Jesus, do we not? And let me say this, you can't miss him if you keep worshiping. And that brings us to verses 36 through 38. Very quickly, let me talk to you about Anna. Anna is a prophetess. For those of you who wonder about women in ministry, I don't know what you do with things like this, but here's a woman who is filled with the Spirit also. She is not a young whippersnapper. She's probably over 100 years old. The, the uh, age is given there, the ages, the days, and all that kind of stuff uh, pushes her uh, age like way up there, over 100 years. Not unusual. I know it seems unusual that, that someone in that day could live that long, but the history shows us that once a person got past childhood, Many times people would live into to ripe old age. So Anna was not that different. She is a woman who just appears like a bright uh, a meteor flying through the sky, like a, like a shooting star. Beautiful picture here for just a few moments. And what we learn about her is quite fascinating. She also, like Simeon, represents the very best, uh, the most faithful of the Jewish religion and faith. Here is a woman who was married for seven short years and then was a widow for over 84. If she was married very young, say 14 or 15, again, not uncommon in that day. And all the mamas in here are going, oh, no, no, no. But in that day, that would not have been uncommon. It's, it pushes her above about 100. Now, one of the things that's interesting about this, the telling that she was a virgin uh, before and that she was only married to the one woman, this is a very important thing. In the Greek culture, uh, the Roman culture, and also the Hebrew culture. One of the most prestigious things that you could say about a woman in those cultures is that she was a one woman, uh, she had only had one man in her life, let me put it that way. And so that puts her at a level of, of respect. That's in the text here for a reason. Everything about this woman shows that she is something rare, something special, someone that God has worked in. Some is told about her being of the tribe of Asher. Her dad's name is mentioned. Let me tell you why that is. Remember, when Luke wrote this, he was writing to an original audience. I think some of the people, any of the people who had ever been in the temple probably ran into Anna. I don't think Anna was somebody that, that was uh, uh, shy. I think she was in there preaching the gospel every day. And so the early readers of this would go, oh yeah, I remember her. She was obnoxious. She always talked about God. May the same be said of you someday also, that you're obnoxious because you're always talking about God. She gave thanks to God, verse 38, to speak of him to all who were waiting for redemp the redemption of Jerusalem. Here we see that she was a preacher. She was a, a prophetess telling people 
The people who listen to Jesus are the people who long for redemption. And Anna fits that, that perfect. Her name in the Semitic languages means grace. Anna was a prophetess of grace. She was privileged to see Jesus. But let me just say this. She was privileged to see Jesus because she was worshiping, always worshiping. For like a hundred years, she was worshiping. You think this sermon is long? A hundred years. She was worshiping the Lord. And because of her faithfulness, she saw God. She was in the center of worship. And therefore, she was able to see Jesus. Too many of us have God on the edges of our lives, and it shows. It shows most profoundly in our worship or our lack thereof. Anna kept worshiping. So let me say this to you. If you want to encounter God, you need to make sure you're in those places where God is magnified. You need to be in places where the word of God is treasured, where prayer is, is valued, where worship is a priority. We want to be in those places because that's where God seems to show up. And so as we look at these two individuals, Simeon and Anna, we see examples, a, a male and a female, examples of what we could be, what we should be. Let's finish with this thought. Go back to the crowded temple with me, elbow to elbow with a lot of strangers. In that crowd is one family. In that crowd is one Jesus. Would you be the one that would see Jesus? Would you be a Simeon, an Anna, that would get to worship the Christ child? Or would you be like the thousands of others who were in the right place but had no concept of who Christ was. Being in the right place is part of the equation, but knowing the right person means everything. Do you know the right person? Do you know the consolation of Israel, the redemption of Israel? His name is Jesus, and he's inviting you to come. And if you invite him to come with you on the journey, guess what you have? You have peace, peace for your journey. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.